Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. The NBA is back and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. This is my favorite sports betting app that is out there. It is safe and easy to use, easy to get your money in and out. I love that cash out feature. So if you're in good shape with one of your bets and you don't want to risk garbage time, you can get your money out quickly. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this NBA season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody, or happy Saturday morning when you're actually listening to this. I hope all of you guys had a great week and that you got big plans to relax this weekend. Just going to be hitting on two games in this show, the Warriors and the Bulls, and then that epic overtime game between the Miami Heat 
in the Boston Celtics. And then for those of you who are interested in a breakdown of the Bucks lakers game, I did a separate instant reaction video to that that you can find a little bit further back in the YouTube feed. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least, if you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And on that note, let's talk some basketball. So for the Warriors tonight, that was three quarters of easy, breezy, dominant basketball. Never truly threatened. Steph kind of pulled back his usage a little bit and seeded the reins to Clay and to Jordan Poole to get a bunch of shots up, and that's exactly what they did. Of course, Jordan Poole got going, which was exactly what he needed. He had a really good game, I thought, against Dallas, particularly as a passer. It's so important for Jordan Poole to be making reads and to like primarily focus on shot creation rather than necessarily shot making. But you need to have both, and it was good to see him get have a good shot making game. Made a bunch of threes, made some tough shots. So those confident Jordan Poole shots that you know are so important to him when he's really, really in a groove. So you know the the nature of this game kind of allowed them to force feed him and let him get going. Clay was really just jacking shots up and took a lot of bad ones, particularly in the fourth quarter. But to Clay's credit, he made a couple of huge plays um, at the end of that game. He drew a post-up foul on Goran Dragic and made two free throws, and then he hit a nice pull-up jumper at the foul line that basically iced the game. But that kind of fast and loose nature, the first three quarters went away in the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter to me was all about the Chicago Bulls going on runs against laziness from the Warriors, but then the Warriors taking back control of the game with their execution on both ends of the floor. The first run, the Bulls get it back within four. Um, Javante Green actually goes to the free throw line after an and one with a chance to get it back within three, and he misses the free throw, so they're still up four. But this stretch, the Warriors did it with offensive execution. You guys might remember a play that I drew out. Uh, well, didn't draw it, but I showed you guys on my Twitter feed and then in our last show, or it was a show earlier this week, um, where the Lakers or the Warriors, excuse me, run like a five-out set where they have uh, Kevon Looney on the left kind of like elbow extended up to the three-point line and Clay Thompson on the right elbow extended up to the three-point line. And then the other two players are on the right side, right wing, right corner, spotting up. And Steph starts all the way on the left, and he comes, he drags off the two screens on the top, and then Clay Thompson comes off of Kevon Looney or Draymond Green, whoever the big is, off to the left wing with like a clear side. It's kind of like the Warriors version of a Spain pick and roll that they'll run. Most times, Spain pick and roll, the shooter will start under the basket. This time, they're just having Clay start up atop the key. But they ran it um, against the Minnesota Timberwolves in that game that I was talking about earlier, and Clay attacked closeout and got a floater. So those of you guys who watched that video I put on Twitter will know exactly which play I'm talking about. But the Warriors spanned this play two times in a row. Right when the Bulls got it back within four, the first time, both guards stayed with Steph Curry. Klay Thompson had a wide-open three, like one that was so wide open that he got to take a free dribble to get the laces right and get his rhythm and knocked it down. Then Levine goes down and travels. Next time down the floor, they run the exact same thing. Both players stay with Steph. Or excuse me, uh, uh, Clay's man stays with Clay this time, and as a result, Steph gets downhill on the screen. He gets into Vucevic's body and makes a right-handed layup. Now they're back up by eight. So again, Bulls go on a run. 
the Warriors settle down, they execute on offense, they get a stop, all of a sudden it's back to eight. But then the Bulls went on another big run. Vucevic hit a tough jumper with Looney's hand in his face. Javante Green had a nice little backdoor cut with a layup, and then Zach Levine hits a three. All of a sudden it's 110 to 109, and it's a one-point game, and ugh, it feels like the game's up in the air. And then the Warriors utterly and completely locked in on defense. And Chicago didn't score again until a meaningless Drogic layup with a few seconds left that Golden State conceded. Not only did they not score, if I'm remembering correctly from watching that game, they only got one shot off. They attempted four, and three of them were blocked. So they leaned on their defense to put the game away after they got it back within one. Draymond Green hit a massive three that wasn't really all that open. Then uh, Kevon Looney timed the DeRozan pull-up. DeRozan does like a hard hesitation dribble before he goes into that pull-up. So if you jump too early or if you jump too late, he can get it off. But if you time it right, Looney's got so much length on him there, he could get to the shot and he blocked it. Then Clay Thompson posts up on the left wing. They originally ran it as a post uh, as like a post split cut, but um, they ended up pulling it out and trying to throw the ball into Clay in the post. This is what's wild. Klay Thompson has scored a grand total of four points on post-ups this year. And instead of just allowing Klay Thompson to catch the ball and attempt a shot over Goran Dragic, Dragic got overzealous while the Bulls were in the penalty and fouled Klay on the post-entry, and he was able to go in and make both uh, free throws. Then Draymond Green blocks Zach Levine at the rim on the play that got challenged. Then Klay goes down and sticks that pull-up jumper at the foul line. Then they go down and Draymond blocks an Alex Crusoe three with a closeout. And Draymond Green's always been one of the best players in the league at closing out. Then the game was over. So, like, the Bulls barely could even get a shot up once they got it back within one. But that's the Warriors for you. Like, they can mess around. Things can get tight. But when it comes to offensive execution and defensive habits, they're just better than most teams. And they're going to be able to close you out there. So it's a really nice win against a reeling Bulls team. The Bulls are now 4-9 and nine in their last 13 games. People were throwing out trades earlier today uh, in the last couple of days involving DeRozan and Vucevic, including the Lakers potentially trading Russell Westbrook for those two guys. If it gets much worse, they might have to consider it. Not necessarily the Russ trade, but consider blowing this thing up. The, the tough part for Bulls fans is they don't really have a ton to be excited about. Aside from, like, I, I mean, I really like Ayodesunmu as, like, a defensive guard that can do some stuff offensively and Patrick Williams, you know, if you watch him on the right night, looks like a two-way wing, but neither of them look like stars, you know, neither of them look like, you know, stars in the making. So it's a tough spot for the Bulls fans to be in. But when you do stuff like that, when you make a trade for a guy like Vucevic and when you go out of your way to get a guy like DeRozan, you're going all in on that particular core working. And as a result, they just don't have a ton to work with now that that seems to not be working. Although the the Bulls have a, a couple of signature wins this year, so they're always a threat if they can get things right. Um, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about Draymond Green because in a, in addition to the massive three-point shot that he hit and the two blocks that he had at the end, he had 13 points, nine rebounds, 10 assists, and was a team-best plus 20. And so the reason why I bring that up is, you know, one of the keys to this season really turning around for the Warriors has been Steve Kerr doing what I asked earlier, which is no more hockey, you know, line, line, you know, line changes, just stagger your starters with your subs. And one of the keys to this particular season has been staggering Draymond, particularly with Jordan Poole. Not just with the bench, but with Jordan Poole. Coming into tonight, when Jordan Poole has played without Draymond, the Warriors have had a minus 12 net rating, meaning they've been outscored by 12 points per 100 possessions in 757 possessions. Pretty big sample size. 
But when they play Draymond with Jordan Poole, the Warriors are plus four in 516 possessions, which is also a pretty big sample size. You know, just having Draymond there, one, so that when they run their screening actions, you have a real high IQ player that can capitalize on that attention that Jordan Poole commands. And then also just kind of reins in Jordan Poole's decision-making, having a really smart player on the floor. I'm a big believer in aggregate anything when it comes to a skill set. Aggregate shooting, aggregate quickness, aggregate size, aggregate length. Aggregate basketball IQ. You get a bunch of smart basketball players on the floor, good things usually will happen. Jordan Poole can be a little fast and loose with his decision-making sometime. Getting him a guy like Draymond in there to just kind of calm him down and get him in the right spots and getting him, make him, uh, getting him to help him make the right decisions goes a long way. Um, and then defensively, Draymond can just make any unit work. It was really fun watching him guard DeMar DeRozan tonight picking him up full court sometimes, applying a bunch of pressure, making him feel uncomfortable. His really uh, long wingspan bothers him on that pull-up shot. Kind of reminded me of when Draymond switched on to Jalen Brown in the NBA Finals. You know, this is the type of versatility that comes with Draymond, and it's why he's one of the best defensive players in the league. It's not just the defensive anchor stuff and the backline stuff and the intensity and the, and the, the vocal leadership. He can straight up switch and guard some of the best perimeter scorers in the league, and that's a big part of what makes him – so valuable. You know, Jonathan Kaminga had a rough night tonight, uh, but I, I want to see him get more reps alongside Draymond at the four. I, I tried to talk about this a little bit on Tuesday night, but we were having all those technical difficulties. Um, the that In that Dallas game, they, uh, Steve Kerr, for the first time this season, tried a lineup of Draymond Green with Dante DiVincenzo, Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, and Anthony Lamb. And that lineup was plus 12 in nine minutes against Dallas. As a matter of fact, this season... When Draymond Green and Jonathan Kaminga are on the floor together, with no Jermichael Green, no James Wiseman, no Kevon Looney, and no Andrew Wiggins. So when Kaminga can truly play the four, rather than playing the three where he's got to have more ball handling responsibilities, when he's truly at the four and Draymond is truly at the five, they've actually had a lot of success. They've in 57%, uh, excuse me, in 57 possessions with that group, which is a small sample, but not nothing. It's half of a basketball game's worth. Um, in those 57 possessions with Draymond and, and Kaminga at the four five, the Warriors have a 130 offensive rating and a 92 defensive rating. That's plus 38 points per 100 possessions. You know, a big part of it is, you know, Draymond Green's offensive IQ, they could put him in those in those positions where he's in the short roll, which then tucks Kaminga in the weak side corner where he doesn't have to make decisions. He just has to, if Draymond's roll into the rim, cut back door for the dunk or the lob, you know, the drop off or the lob, or crash the offensive glass. It simplifies his defense, uh, it simplifies his decision-making process. And then Jonathan Kaminga's defense has been the thing that separated him from the other young players on the roster, and it makes him an exciting prospect. He Like, he's just... Surprisingly big and strong, super long arms, freak athlete, moves his feet well. He's a good defensive player. Uh, so the Warriors are back over 500, and they have three winnable games coming up. They play the Rockets at home, the Pacers at home. Then they have a somewhat tough game on the road in Utah, but if they win all three of those, they're in a good spot heading into a couple of really tough matchups with the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks back-to-back. All right, let's move on to this uh, Heat-Celtics game. This was a really entertaining game. I just just caught up on it here in the last half hour or so. So the Heat uh, won 120 to 116. Tatum had a nightmare shooting night, but I went back and watched all his shooting attempts. He was 5 for 18 from the field and 0 for 7 from 3, but I actually thought he got pretty decent shot quality. It kind of just felt like a nightmare game for him. You know, Bam Adebayo in his post-game presser was talking about how, 
you know, uh, they're just going to live with the result with Jason Tatum taking tough shots. And I get that. And I get that from a shot from a philosophy. And don't get me wrong. If you're guarding Jason Tatum, you got to live with some of these step back threes that he's taken. But I mean, Tatum missed at least by my count, five layups, like right around the rim, like easy layups that he does not usually miss. You know, this has been Tatum's best rim finishing season of his career by far. He clearly worked a lot this season on finishing or off season on finishing through contact and he's been hitting in like the mid seventies on high volume around the rim. Just a bad night. It happens. You know, Jimmy Butler once again just has the Celtics number. And anytime you put him in a big game like that, he's just a, just about guaranteed to play really to play really well. He had a massive jumper to almost seal the game in regulation, and then actually hit the one that iced the game in OT. Made all sorts of huge defensive plays, including a huge block on Jalen Brown at the rim in OT. Heat fans in general just have to feel good about having him back because he solves so many of their problems. But the real hero that I want to give a bunch of attention to right now is Bam Adebayo. So he had 28 points tonight on 18 shots. He scored 28 or more in three of his last four games. For the season, he's averaging a career-high 21 points per game on 59% true shooting. And he's just, in general, finally starting to be aggressive looking for his own shot rather than just trying to play within the flow of the offense, which is something that I've been begging for. You know, the, the Heat have a significant, they have a lot of guys that can dribble and can shoot. But, you know, athleticism and physical tools are such an important deal, especially when you get into postseason environments. Like, I always talk about, like, the mismatch attacking forward. And, you know, with this Heat roster, one of the weaknesses for them is their guards can't really create shots unless they're coming over screens and getting advantages. And so they really only have one forward, who's Jim, Jimmy Butler who can like consistently create his own shot against a mismatch. And that's been a severe limitation for them. And even with that limitation, they damn near won a title. They were one shot away from making the finals last year. So that, that's, I mean, obviously it's not the same as getting the trophy, but that's relatively close. So, you know, realistically, having Bam become another one of those guys, another big forward that can consistently attack a mismatch, that goes a long way towards solving a lot of Miami's offensive issues. You know, they need they need not just ultra versatile, one of the best defensive players in the world, Bam. They need two-way Bam. They need more Anthony Davis than Rudy Gobert, if that makes sense. They need what they got tonight. So, like, it's 112-112. Jimmy Butler just blocks Jalen Brown at the rim, like a ridiculous block with his left hand extended out um, and, and snatches the basketball. They run down. And they clear out and isolate Bam Adebayo on the right block against Grant Williams. And Grant Williams is a great defensive player. This is a guy who was guarding Giannis and doing a pretty damn good job last year in the playoffs. And he just backs his way in on Grant, turns over his left shoulder, and knocks down a jump shot. A tough fadeaway jump shot over his left shoulder. That's difficult, high-level shot making. And that ended up giving the Heat the lead. You know, like that, that's the thing that's going to that's the thing that's going to put Miami over the edge. High-level shot making from Bam. Legit mismatch attacking from Bam, especially since for him and I, you know, a lot of the shot making that he uh, displayed tonight was relatively close to the rim in that like five to seven foot range. That could be something that's really reliable in a playoff series. Look at the Lakers tonight with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. At the end of that game, they won with shot making at the rim, like making shots like five, seven feet away from the basket. If Bam can get that stuff nailed down, that could be like Tim Duncan esque reliable go-to scoring at the end of games or in big, you know, pivotal stretches of pivotal playoff games. Looking at some of the data, 
Bam has scored 50 points on 52 post-ups, which is below average. But he's been very good in isolation. He scored 71 points on 68 isos, including passes, which is in the 67th percentile in the NBA. Now, the Heat still desperately need a legit two-way front court option just to add some depth there. My guess is they'll be very... I mean, they were literally playing Udonis Haslam in these games. Like, that's a problem, you know. Um, they're going to need to target somebody either in the trade market or in the buyout market to bolster that front court. But if this scoring burst from Bam is real, and I hope they keep feeding him all season to try to develop that further and further, there's some real LeBron AD type potential here. You know, what makes the LeBron AD pairing so devastating? It's not just that Anthony Davis and LeBron can combine for 72 points or whatever they did tonight. It's that on the other end of the floor, LeBron was guarding Giannis and Anthony Davis was guarding Giannis and AD was protecting the rim and they were grabbing all these contested rebounds and making all these pivotal defensive plays. That's the key. You need the, the two-way pairing of superstars. You've seen it with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. That sort of thing is such a valuable playoff weapon. And if Bam Adebayo can meet Jimmy Butler in that true two-way superstar level, that changes the way we have to evaluate the Heat. But massive win. I mean, I was talking about the Lakers earlier tonight because they had a massive road win against the second-best team in the league. This was the Miami Heat getting a massive road win over the very best team in the league. So shout-out to the Heat. Shout-out to Bam Adebayo. Might have to start talking about the Heat a little bit more, which could be fun because they're a fun team to watch. And Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, what a huge win. For the Lakers. If you guys remember what I said on Thursday, I said they've won six out of eight. Really should be seven out of eight. You're up 17 with nine minutes left against the Pacers at home. You should win that game. They choked it away. They paid dearly for it. But their schedule was weak in that stretch. And a lot of people are going to point to the schedule, which is normal. And honestly, 
It's the reality of what happened. They beat some bad teams during that stretch. But they also played some good basketball. That's a decent Blazers team, even without Dame, with a lot of wing size and athleticism that they beat handily on Wednesday. That Pacers team that they were up 17 on, that's a decent basketball team. They were playing good basketball, but they needed a signature win, something to legitimize it. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Kings situation. If you guys remember when the Kings went on that long hot streak, I pointed out the simple fact that they hadn't played many good teams and that they were basically just beating up on weaker competition. But I said they will have a chance to prove it, and they did. They went out to Atlanta, Boston, and Phoenix three games in a row and lost all three of them. So when they had an opportunity to prove the legitimacy of their recent good play, they couldn't do it. Now, I expected that with the Kings because they weren't defending well. The reason why I thought the Lakers actually had a decent chance to continue this momentum is LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the seventh best defense in the league that actually is the second best half-court defense. They're just an atrocious transition defense. I thought they had the capability to keep this momentum going, but this was a really difficult first challenge. This Bucks team, I think, is the second best team in the league, um, is the second best team in the standings. They were my second championship pick behind the Golden State Warriors. They were 11-2 and at home this year coming into tonight, and they were the best paint defense in the league, giving up just 44.5 points per 100 possessions in the paint, which was first place in the entire NBA. And this is a Lakers team that is very dependent on getting into the paint. They are fourth in paint points per game. And obviously LeBron James and Anthony Davis do the majority of their damage in the restricted area. So... With Chris Middleton coming back, with Pat Connaughton, I think this was his fifth game back. This was a really difficult road game and an excellent opportunity for the Lakers to prove that they've been playing some good basketball, and they did. They controlled this game really, you know, there was a little bit of a back and forth at the beginning, and then the Bucs actually took a brief lead late before the Lakers took it back and won the game, but the Lakers pretty much controlled this game, kind of stiff-armed the Bucs out to that, you know, five, six points uh, through most of that second half until the Bucks got it close. And so it was a really, really impressive win, especially when the Bucks made 17 threes. You get a 40-piece from Giannis, and you still win. It's really impressive. And again, for that best paint defense in the league, giving up just 44.5 points per 100 possessions in the paint, yeah, LeBron, Russ, and Anthony Davis butchered them for 70 paint points in this game. But that's the power of all-world talent. You know, when I, when I would talk about the Lakers – coming into the season, and everyone makes their jokes about the roster, and I get it, dude. I've been talking about the roster, too. But the reality of the situation was is Anthony Davis wasn't available for most of last season, and when he was available, he didn't look like Anthony Davis. He looked like a lesser version of Anthony Davis. He looked like Clint Capella with uh, with the occasional really nice dribble move and a jump shot, although he'd shoot like below 20% on jump shots. That's the type of player you were getting earlier on in the last two seasons with Anthony Davis. And then LeBron James wasn't playing very much on the defensive end. He was just scoring the basketball efficiently last year. And Russ was a disaster last year. But if Anthony Davis plays like the Anthony Davis that helped the Lakers win the title in 2020, and if LeBron James plays like LeBron James, then you have to scrap all of that. Do they need to make a, a deal, a, a trade to become a true contender? Yeah, of course, because it's too much to ask for LeBron James and Anthony Davis to go out and score 70 points every single game. But this is the power of all world talent. 
this is why it's worth investing and this is why I've been pushing them to push their chips in in the middle. So what I want to do with the Lakers tonight is I just want to focus on their three stars. So let's start with AD. 44-10 and 10 with three blocks. I thought he soundly outplayed Giannis, who did most of his damage in transition against that horrific Lakers transition defense. I thought they actually defended Giannis really well in the half court. Anthony Davis made nine shots outside of the restricted area in this game, which is reminiscent of bubble AD, because that was what bubble AD did. Really was good in that mid-range with his pull-up jump shot. He had a critical driving layup past Brooke Lopez late in the fourth, grabbed a bunch of critical um, de- contested defensive rebounds. He it, it just, it just was dominant all game long. You know, this is I, I keep talking about the difference between like regular Anthony Davis, what I, what I jokingly called the better version of Clint Capella, I keep comparing the difference between, you know, that version of Anthony Davis and this version of Anthony Davis. And this is why. Like, 25-8, and eight, where the Lakers lose, and he jogs back in transition a bunch, and I'm screaming from the mountaintops like Anthony Davis is not playing well. And, you know, Anthony Davis fans would be like, he had 25-8. and eight. Yeah, he had 25-8. and eight. That's not good from him c- compared to what he is capable of. Look what he's done in this last two and a half, three weeks. You know, like he, when Anthony Davis is actually locked in on both ends of the floor and has that level of shot making that he has when he's in shape, in rhythm, and actually like polishing his skills, he's a top five player in the NBA. That's how good he is. That's why I hold him to that standard. And what happened was, is he won the trophy and just let go of the work, showed up to camp. It was widely reported that he showed up to camp each of the next two seasons out of shape, which directly leads to things like injuries. And when you're out of the gym and you're not working on your game, guess what happens? Your jump shot stops falling. He let go of it. But, you know, as I was hoping coming into the season, the humiliation of the previous two years would be enough to whip AD back into shape, and that's exactly what's happened. He's been incredible this year, just like I expected him to be. Moving on to LeBron. In the first half, it was a lot of really good individual defense on Giannis. I've always joked about how if you were picking like the perfect defenders to guard Giannis, the two names that come to my mind are Draymond Green and LeBron James. LeBron just has that unique combination of mobility and legit powerful strength that not many players in the league have. And then the same thing goes for Draymond, and he's not quite the athlete that LeBron is, but he just has incredible defensive instincts. So he's good at picking up cover. Like LeBron got caught on a late screen for uh, Giannis that led to an and one layup. That is like one of those things where, you know, LeBron's physically equipped for that, but he just didn't anticipate it well enough. Draymond Green's going to be on top of those sorts of things. Like those are the two guys that I've always thought of as the perfect Giannis defenders. And I thought LeBron did a really nice job on it. Like I said, uh, he got a few baskets. He had a spinning dunk in the first half. He had that and one layup in the second half. Uh, he had two pull-up jump shots that he knocked down in LeBron's face right around like the top of the key. Um, but for the most part, I thought LeBron did a good job. Most of Giannis's damage came in transition and against those two funky lineups that Darvin Ham ran with no LeBron James and Anthony Davis off the floor while Giannis was on, and Giannis just bullied his way to the rim. I'll have to look at the numbers later, but I think the Lakers, the only reason this game wasn't a 10-15 point win was because of those specific stretches of the game. I'll have to look at those uh, when the data updates. Um, but like in, uh, he also had like a really nice stretch there in that second quarter where he got some good pick-and-roll chemistry with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis ended up getting a dunk in that sequence. And then in the second half, it was just pure shot creation, including a masterful fourth quarter 
with countless pivotal baskets, like some huge jump shots and layups and feeds for other important shots. He had that um, that uh, um, really nice like pocket pass to Anthony Davis in the early fourth, right when the Bucks got it back. To, I think it was right after the Bucks tied the game. Finished the game with 28, 8, and 11, and he didn't even shoot that well. I think he was 12 for 27 from the field. You know, it's funny. I was thinking at the end of the third quarter, I think I actually drafted out the tweet and ended up not sending it. But I was thinking, the, this is a winnable game. And LeBron's had a bad season by his standards for the most part, although he's had some really good games as of late. And this is an opportunity to send a message and to get a monumentally important win for his team. I was curious what he would do in that fourth quarter, and he was incredible. Um, down the stretch of that game, the Lakers spammed a LeBron-Anthony Davis pick and roll out of a triple threat with a cleared side lower to the basket, almost down at like 17, 18 feet. And I wanted to talk about that from a couple of different angles. So first of all, the LeBron AD pick and roll is deadly when teams don't switch it. The problem is, is the vast majority of teams will switch that action because they'll just put a big forward on AD and a big forward on LeBron. So who cares about the matchup? They'll switch it, and they probably feel like they can force both of them to settle for jump shots, it, you know, at least try to if they switch the action. But the Bucks were guarding it with Giannis in help, you know, or sometimes Giannis was on Anthony Davis when uh, Brooke was off the floor, but they primarily put Brooke on Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday on LeBron, two very different types of defenders, so they weren't switching the action. They were in a legit drop coverage. Towards the end, Drew really tried to ice the coverage, trying to force LeBron towards the baseline, but he just used pivot moves and rescreening to get back towards the middle. But there was a couple different uh, interesting things there. Why they cleared the side is simple. You push it to that side, it simplifies your reads. You don't have to look both ways to see if there's a helper coming out of the corner. Instead, you just have to see the one side of the floor. Also, by clearing the side, you push the whole action over a bit. Now the help defenders have to come further off of their shooters, which either you know puts them in more of a, uh, a, a position where they have to make a more difficult decision. Am I going to abandon the shooter to help, or am I going to stay home? And then the reason why they started low is it simplifies the shot-making piece of it all. So if you run the high pick-and-roll and, you know, Drew gets caught on the screen, but they're digging over on the roll, man, and Brooke is containing LeBron as he's driving to the basket, he might have to make some tougher pull-up jump shots. He might have to make a pull-up, you know, 18-footer or a tougher floater or something along those lines. But when you move the action inside that far... Once LeBron got over the screen and Drew Holiday was on his backside, he's already at like 10 feet. And so from there, if he has a step, it's one extra step to the rim for a layup. If he doesn't have the step and Drew fights over, now he can just go to like a short little jump hook. And LeBron made a couple of really nice little short-range jump shots in there. Just by moving the action in, it made it so that the shot-making piece of the ball handler and pick and roll was not pull-up three, pull-up you know long two. It was hook shot or layup. It just simplified the shot making piece. I thought it was really smart. Um, and that's the kind of thing that LeBron James, you know, he's just a chess master in those sorts of situations. I also thought like just by starting at 18 feet allowed LeBron to start with a triple threat rather than with a live dribble. If you go with a live dribble, Drew Holiday can punish the handle, which is one of his best gifts. Work it out of a triple threat now uh, Drew Holiday can't get into the handle. LeBron's working with rip throughs and he's protecting the basketball. It's just a lot easier for him to manage Drew's ball pressure at that point. I will. I, I'm, I really thought that was an interesting basketball chess match. So at some point next week, probably on Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to do a video breakdown 
of um of that LeBron AD low pick and roll out of triple threat. I thought that was a really interesting uh, sequence. But what an amazing two way performance from LeBron, and exactly the type of thing that you're, you're that this team requires in order to beat the best teams on the league, or excuse me, on the road in the league. That was vintage throwback LeBron. It's fun to watch. All right, let's talk about some Russ. What did I say after Wednesday? He was 4 for 14 from the field and only had four assists. But I said it was one of his best games as a Laker because he limited his mistakes, he got consistent dribble penetration, and he played solid on the defensive end. When he does those things, he can still be a damn effective NBA player. And he went out and did all three of those things again tonight to an even higher level in what I thought was his best game as a Laker. Some Laker fans are going to point to, I think it was the Hornets game last year where he had like 33 or something like that, and he won the game with some big-time shot-making. But that's, that, to me, is irrelevant. It was a bad team on the road. LeBron and AD were out. You were just kind of like, okay, go ahead, Russ, try to win this game, and he did. But this was like high stakes, team with real expectations, season still very much in play, on the road, second-best team in the league. LeBron and AD are out there playing great. And they need Russ to find a way to contribute to the two stars that are playing at the top of their games on this night. They needed him to supplement that. And the only way he could do that is, once again, limiting mistakes, getting consistent dribble penetration, and playing solid defense. And that's exactly what he did. He had five assists on his first five offensive possessions. I'm not sure I've ever actually seen that before. It was like, it was like Russ assist, Russ assist, Russ assist. Russ, like it, was, it was unbelievable on his way to an 11-assist night. And he limited his mistakes. He only took two shots I didn't like. There was a, a one-leg fadeaway over Drew Holiday. I think it was in his first shift that he actually made. That was like early shot clock where I was like, eh, we probably don't need that shot, but he made it. And then the second one was the two-for-one that he went for, the pull-up three. And the general idea there is you go for the two-for-one because of the math of it all, right? Like, okay, if I uh, have two possessions and, you know, I run these two actions and I get, on average, one point whatever points per possession, you know, just by math, I'm going to have a better chance of scoring, you know, if, whereas if I go one possession and they go one possession, just the odds are, are, are less in my favor. But, you know, it's all about shot quality because – a pull-up early Russ 3 early in the shot clock has like, what, a 10 12% chance of going in. So when you really look at the points per possession on that possession, it's so low that you're actually better off running a really good, sound offensive possession. But those were the only two shots I liked. He had z- didn't like. He had zero turnovers. That's two games in a row with zero turnovers after he had 12 in the last two games. Um, but yeah, so like I'd say, what, two mistakes total? And he played just on just under 30 minutes. Like, that's a great way to contribute. And then he played a great defensive game. You know, I got I to gotta hand it to him, too. Like, that diving play where he dove at the ball um, when Chris Middleton went to the ground and he kept the ball alive that led to the run-out dunk uh, from LeBron to AD, that was a game-winning type of play. You know, it's funny with Russ. He, he, has, he has so much, like, moxie an audacity that like when he sees those opportunities to make those pivotal momentum plays, he always goes for it. And sometimes it can hurt him when he does something like shooting that late uh, pull up jump shot that he did against the Blazers in the third game of the season. Like you're like, he felt an opportunity to ice the game there and he just couldn't help himself. You know what I mean? But like in this version of Russ, when he's measured a little bit more and he's a little bit more calm when he goes for those types of plays, you know that was that that that's the type of play that you put your heart on the line for the way that he did, um, and it, it just just an unbelievable 
um, performance from him tonight. Like I said, I thought it was his best game as a Laker. I was talking to one of my coworkers at the volume and I said to him, you know, I'm like, I still think at this exact moment in time that, you know, the Russ's salary because of the vehicle that that provides you to bring back multiple larger salaries. I still think that that's the way to go in terms of trade, the trade market. But it's because these performances like these last two games have been more the exception. Like he's had like probably four or five games where they've met this standard that I think really helped the team. And then another four or five where it was kind of a mixed bag and then there's been some bad ones, right? But if he puts together like three or four more like this in a row where it becomes like consistent that he's figured out how to fit within this group, like he's being so productive that at that point you have to keep him. And so if he puts three or four games like that in a row – over the course of this road trip, I will start to think or consider the idea that maybe a Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn package targeting one mid-level salary is actually a better option. It all depends on how good Russ is. And if he's going to be this good, then that changes that math. The Lakers have a classic trap game on Sunday. They're on the road in Washington. Um, I believe that game starts at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So it's kind of like an early start. It's off of a big win, so it's tempting to bring a sloppy effort. It's like a letdown type of game. They need to keep their foot on the gas uh, to keep building momentum. Why? Because they are 9-12, and 12 and they've banked too many losses. They don't have room in the standings to mess around. A couple notes on the Bucks. Uh, I need to look at the film, but it looked like a rough half-court game for Giannis. It seemed like the vast majority of his damage was in transition, and then, like I said, against those non-LeBron AD lineups. But I need to look back at the film, so I will uh, dig back into that a little bit, so keep an eye on my Twitter feed. And then again, like the Lakers are a good half-court defense. They're the second-best half-court defense in the league. So with a team that struggles to score in the half-court, like the Bucks, and a player generally struggles to score in the half-court in Giannis against a really good half-court defense, you know, that's kind of that thing's uh, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. Uh, but once again, in transition, he was completely unstoppable. I bet you he scored on every single run out. I don't even think he played all that well, and he had 47-5 and five on 70% shooting. <laughs> like, he is... So clearly the best player in the world to me. Um, Chris Middleton. I said that I liked this as a first matchup for him because of the overhelping from the Lakers, which he got some good three-point looks from. He made three out of four threes. And then the shorter Laker wings. I gave him good options to shoot over the top. He had 17 points in 27 minutes. And I thought his playmaking was the most impressive thing that I saw tonight. And I, I think that's really going to help the Bucks in their half-court offense moving forward. He finished with seven assists. You know, like as a Bucks fan, the way you got to look back at this is like just – tip the cap to LeBron and AD because look, how did the Lakers win the 2020 title? They won it because LeBron was the best player in the world. And Anthony Davis was something like the fourth or fifth best player in the world. Two top five players playing at the top of their games. You're going to have a really hard time beating them when they're like that. Now, one of the reasons why I don't have the Lakers as my championship favorite. And instead I have, you know, the Warriors, Bucks and Celtics is because I trust Giannis and Drew and Chris to be good almost every single night. And I trust Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to be good almost every single night. And I trust Steph Curry and those guys to be good every single night. Like, this is the first time in a long time that LeBron and AD have been this dominant together. I would need to see them demonstrate that over months and months for me to really believe in the ultimate ceiling of the Lakers. So as a Bucks fan, you just got to tip your cap. You know, LeBron and AD came in tonight and they both played like top five players and you got beat. And it was this close anyway, in spite of all that. And that just goes to show you how good your team is. And so you got to be feeling good about where you are. 
All right, guys, that's all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I will see you on Monday. State wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.